That was powerful. Can you picture yourself standing with the heroes of the faith? Can you see that day? We really need to see it in moments of trial and of difficulty um, for it to give us an extra motivation to stand firm in the faith. Have you noticed how you can think you're seeing clearly something? You've, you've come to a conclusion because you know you have all the information and you're just sure of it. And then you find out later, mm-mm, had it all wrong. I was so wrong. Like, like the guy, you know, who goes up to a girl and he says, I know you like me and I like you. And she says, no way, Jose. Let's keep it as friends, okay? He had it all wrong. That's never happened to anybody here, right? Or if you're old like me, do you remember the, the movie... Um, Karate Kid, 1984, when it came out. Um, So there's this guy named Daniel, the kid in the picture, and he gets bullied in this new city. He doesn't know anybody, and, and this group of guys who know karate, they pick on him, and they beat him. They're beating him up, and and this little shadow out of the darkness comes out and defends him and wow it's really cool and that's Mr. Miyagi the the little short Japanese guy behind him you know and then they talk and Mr. Miyagi says yeah I'll I'll teach you how to do that I'll teach you some karate you come to my house tomorrow morning early you remember that and um, Daniel goes and he's ready to learn karate and he ties this thing around his head and he's ready for karate and Mr. Miyagi says, see these old cars here? You need to wax them, right? Wax on, wax off. And so he works all day long and he's tired at the end of the day and you can just see it, you know, well, I have to give a little in order for him to teach me. And so the next day he he comes early and he's ready to get started and Mr. Miyagi says, Send the floor. And he's got all these wood floors on these decks. And so he works all day sanding the floor, sanding the floor. And finally he's done. And the next morning, Mr. Miyagi says, see you bright and early. And he comes back and it's paint the fence. Paint the fence. And Daniel's getting frustrated. He's just like at the end of that day, he gives Mr. Miyagi a piece of his mind. and says, hey, you said you were going to teach me karate. And then Mr. Miyagi explains this. The fence. Up, down. Up, down. Up, down. Other side. Look, I. Always look, I. Show me paint the house. Side, side. Lock wrist. Side, side. Side, side. Show me wax on, wax off. Yes! 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 
Show me pen to fence. Hush! Hush! Yes! Yes! Show me side to side. Yes! 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 Show me sand to floor. Hush! Yes! 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 Isn't that great? That brings back a memory or two for some of us. Some of us who are old enough to remember that. Yeah. Well, that is what also happens when the Lord is working on us patiently in our lives to teach us to be more like Christ. We don't always understand what God is doing unless we have the eyes of faith like James told us. When you suffer any kind of trial, you should have joy because you know that God is training you. God is working on you to make you more like Jesus. If you're seeing correctly, you have to see correctly for that to be true in your life. Because when you're not seeing correctly, what happens? You get frustrated and you get angry and you might even get God, give God a piece of your mind like, like Daniel tried to do to Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi's uh, methods of teaching karate turned out to be very effective if you remember that movie. It, it's pretty cool. I actually saw it this week. My dad and I uh, were looking for something to watch and there was Karate Kid. I said, oh, let's, let's look at that. That was fun. But, but God is working on us through trials, and he is very kind and very patient as he does that. It's very effective when we see correctly, because when we're not seeing correctly, you know what? We're in a vulnerable place of temptation. And you know what we're vulnerable to? Not only anger, frustration, we're vulnerable to false teaching. That's what we've been studying the last few weeks here in our messages. We're vulnerable to false teaching when we think we're seeing, but we're not. Like Daniel what was before that explanation from uh, Mr. Miyagi. So hope for every day life. And one of the main verses that we have to teach this is Romans fifteen thirteen that says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You want joy and peace? God is promising that through hope so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That joy and peace that is so elusive in this world because we look for it in the wrong places. When we don't have joy and peace and hope, it may be that we're not understanding the scriptures or applying them correctly to our lives. And we're studying Second Peter to learn about growing in grace and the, the verse 
the theme verse of growing in grace is 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the end of eternity. Amen. Growing in grace. That sounds wonderful too. Sounds good and pleasant. And we might wish that the Christian life was all lollipops and bubble gum. But it's not. Right, and, and that's why we've spent some time in Second Peter talking about false teachers, which isn't the most pleasant subject in the world. It's, I don't know anybody who says my favorite part of the Bible is that part that talks about false teachers. That's not our favorite part, but we need to study it. We need to understand it, and we're thankful for a church that wants to study all of God's Word. We don't want to hop over the parts that aren't as interesting or as fun or as enjoyable. We need all of that. And that's what Daniel was learning from Mr. Miyagi. You got to do the, the grind. You got to stay with it. You, you have to study hard. You have to work hard to reap the benefits. The Apostle Paul warned the church at Ephesus, be on guard for yourselves and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to the pastors and the elders of the church. He says, to the shepherds, uh, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So false teaching not only is a threat from outside the church, it's also from inside the church. And I would add, it's even from inside our flesh. False teaching can come from any of those sources. And just before Paul said this, he had said this. Look at what he says. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declining you the whole purpose of God. He says, I, I gave you all of it, not just the pleasant, not just the part that you wanted or you liked. I gave you the whole counsel of God. And Peter's doing the same thing. He says, let's talk about all of this, and this part is important. So, Homework and tests in school that make us work hard may not be our favorite, but we need it. We need to rejoice and value. Uh, we need to rejoice in and value this part of the scriptures. And, and Paul said this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from truth to the myths. So who wants to turn away to myths and see things in it correctly? Who wants... Who wants only the part that, that our flesh wants? We don't want that, do we? And, it, and it's great to be a part of a church that wants to study the entire Word of God. We don't want to be like um, 
the Karate Kid before the explanation. We want to be like, like Karate Kid Daniel after that explanation because what happened after Mr. Miyagi explained that to him? Oh, he really got into it. He, he came with enthusiasm and, and worked hard all day long to learn the skills that, that Mr. Miyagi was teaching him. And can that happen today that, that we would reject and, and turn away, you know, get upset and walk away and give up on all that opportunity to learn, to train, to grow? Can that happen? Can it happen that inside the church there would be some false teaching? There is a history here at Faith Church, a real clear time when, when that did happen. In, in the early days when Pastor Good was first here, the pastor who brought biblical counseling to, to Faith Church and, and uh, was one of the first biblical counselors, he, he arrived here and wanted to establish the biblical counseling center here. But, but he started preaching in a way that Faith Church really hadn't heard before. Faith Church uh, had been faithful to evangelize, uh, to, to be evangelistic up to that point. And, and the people at all, the church voted nearly 100% to bring him on. But there were people who started not liking what he was preaching. They said, um, he's going off in a direction we, we don't like. And they started meeting secretly with other families and deciding how they were going to get rid of Pastor Good. That's what they, they, they were actually meeting and doing that. And thankfully, they're... Uh, meetings were discovered, they were confronted, and they were disciplined from the church because they, they turned away. They did not want to continue. Some dear friends, some, some valued members of the church but who said, no, we don't want this, and, and they left. So it can happen, and it is happening today all over our country. There are false teachings inside the Christian churches today about accepting things that are clearly unbiblical. Things that have to do with the sexual revolution. Things that have to do with gender and, and many other things. Have you heard about the, the attendance in church is just going uh, downhill like crazy in this country? Just like it did in England back in the 1900s. Now... Strong churches and, and faithful churches like faith today are growing, but not a lot of them are doing that. Growing because of faithfulness to preach the gospel, faithfulness to God's word, faithfulness to also study the parts of Scripture that talk to us about how we need to change and grow, that talk to us about our sin, that talk about admitting our own struggles and confessing that and doing the hard work of being accountable and putting off and, and working on growing in Christ. So here in chapter 3, we are celebrating God's patience. And let's, let's read this that's in, uh, on page 184 in the Bible under the chair in front of you, in the back section, 184, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. 2 Peter 3, 1 says, Beloved, this is now the second letter I am writing you in which I stir up 
your sincere mind by way of reminder. To remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. Did you see the water all over that verse? Verse 7, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, not water, fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. We'll focus on that verse a little more. Toward the end of the message, what is that about? And verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So we're talking about celebrating God's patience right there in verse 9. God is patient. That is one of his attributes. It's so good to focus, meditate on, and learn from God's patience, which will protect our hearts from false teaching. First of all, let God's word keep, your, keep you spiritually sharp. Let God's word keep us sharp and alert. Peter says, remember the words spoken beforehand. That's verse 2. Remember, and he said that many times in this letter, I'm here to remind you, I'm here for you to remember, and hopefully we learn new things when we come and study God's Word on Sunday, but we don't always learn new things. A lot of what we do here is to remember. And we shouldn't get tired of that because we need to repeat things so much that that they stick that we have them, that we walk away with them, not just be interested in learning something new every Sunday. That's what the Athenians did. They wanted something new all the time, and, and that's not what is best for us as people of God. We need to be reminded. We need to remember because we tend to forget. We need God's Word to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we need to place value on being reminded. And verse 1, 3, 1 says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Repetition, repetition, memorizing. It's very good for us. And your presence here Sunday after Sunday says... I want to be reminded. It's people who get tired of that that have trouble with attending church. I don't know if I want to go back to church today. Do I get up and I go again? Oh, I'll probably just hear what I've already heard. 
If that's a negative thing, that we're not valuing God's word the way we should. We need to value hearing. Now, we work hard at not just saying everything the same old way. We try to not be just boring repetition, but there's a certain amount of repetition that needs to come about. And, and as teachers, we need to try to keep it fresh, but we're keeping fresh the truths that we already know and that we've heard and that, that get applied. And, you know, biblical counseling is like that. As we take biblical counseling to new areas uh, of the world that haven't heard it before, and, and to them it sounds new and fresh, but then they start hearing say, no, we already knew all those truths. You're not telling us something new. But what biblical counseling does is telling them, no, but we haven't applied it this and this and here's how it needs those scriptures need to be applied and that is a new concept a new way of of solving problems and of helping people so the repetition is good in order to apply sometimes we're working on the application part and in the first verse of this letter of Second Peter, Simon Peter, he said, A bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. So at some point, we had to get on board with this plan. At some point, we had to accept, okay, here's the plan, here's how we're going to do it. And you know, that point was when we heard the gospel and we repented and believed it and say, yes, I do want that in my life. I need God to forgive me and I need his word to change me. Have you had that day in your life where you realized you needed a change in direction? You needed to repent of your sin and you needed to hang on to God and and let him clean you and wash you, and for you to get with his program of how to grow and change. When you did that, you had a desire like newborn babies have for pure milk. You said, wow, this is exciting. This is good. When you trusted Christ, and you could be anywhere else today doing something else, but if you're here... For the 100th or the 1,000th time, it's because you still have that desire. You still have that hunger for God's word. And you still want God to work in your heart through his word. And look how Peter develops this in verse 2. It's by marveling at the unified nature of Scripture. We don't only want the New Testament. We want the Old Testament as well, And that's, that's what he's talking about in verse 2 where he says that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. What's, which part of the Bible is that talking about? That's the Old Testament, right? What was the church is built on the prophets, Ephesians 2.20 says, and that's the Old Testament. The prophets is all the Old Testament when it's mentioned this way. The holy prophets. And then the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken to you by the apostles. Which part of the Bible is that? See, that's the New Testament, right? That the, the apostles and their assistants wrote was all the New Testament. So, so Peter's saying, we're not forgetting the Old Testament. We want the whole thing. 
So, have, have you learned to enjoy reading the Old Testament? Have you read Genesis and Exodus? Have you read it many times? If you have any time uh, at all being a believer, you should be very familiar with those two beginning books, Genesis and Exodus. If you haven't read, if you are not full and filled, and, and, and if you don't know inside and out Genesis and Exodus, I challenge you to do that. Start reading there. It's very interesting. The narratives of Genesis and Exodus are are uh, some of the easier and more interesting parts of the Bible to read and understand. And then, then we dig in deeper and learn the truths that they are teaching us. And then later, uh, the book of Ruth, then First and Second Samuel. We've got to read those. We've got to read them to our kids. Are we reading the scriptures in our homes so that we are all absorbing more and more of the scriptures? That's what Peter is saying. Don't just... Come on Sundays to get God's Word. You need God's Word every day. You need it in your lives. Every day possible as families, we need to be in the Scriptures. Well, the false prophets in that day were saying, yeah, but um, this thing about Jesus coming back, it's not really true. And, and, uh, and it's not in the Old Testament. Well, you know what? It is in the Old Testament. The foundation of the Old Testament um, is that uh, here in Isaiah 66, uh, Isaiah prophesied before, for behold, the Lord will come in fire. Remember the verses about the water? And then it says, yeah, but the future isn't about water. It's about fire. See, that wasn't new. Peter is not the first one to say that. Isaiah said it. He said, The Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and his sword on all flesh and those slain by the Lord will be many. That is what Jesus will do when he comes back. He didn't do it the first time, but he will do it the second time. Not just Isaiah. Malachi says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. There's the fire. And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze. We don't want to be set ablaze, do we? We, will, we don't want to be chaff. But that is what is coming for the false teachers and for those who reject the gospel. Says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. The memory of them will be wiped off of the earth. So, the Old Testament talked about Jesus' second coming, and they were saying, yeah, but that's not going to happen because everything has been the same since our fathers. They were talking about, Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. And they said, since then, everything has been the same and nothing's changing. So this new teaching about Jesus coming back, that's not really going to happen. Jesus didn't really say that. We weren't there. The apostles say that he said that, but that's not true. He's not really going to come back because things just don't change like that. And they were denying the Old Testament. And they were denying what the New Testament tells us 
over and over again. We get the validation of the New Testament, and Peter's saying it here in verse 2. He states that the commandment of Christ as spoken by the apostles are just as authoritative. And here, um, Peter says, and we're going to look ahead at next week's passage, just a little bit. I'm robbing, I'm not going to rob anybody's thunder. I'm trying not to, but it says, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul. So it's interesting, Peter quotes the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing in those days. He, all, all Peter has is some, some parchment with Paul's writings on them. But, and what does he say about those, those parchments and those rolls? He says, that's the same as Scripture. He says they're, they're kind of hard to understand. Right down there, some things are hard, which uh, the untaught and unstable distort. They deny these things that are being written by the Apostle Paul as they do the rest of Scripture. He says, these writings that Paul says, you can recognize that this is Scripture. That, we're, that was amazing for Peter to identify right then and there that what he had read from the writings of Paul, he says that is just like reading the Old Testament. We have to take it seriously. And he's say, still saying it here, the, new, the Old and the New Testament. Let the Word keep you sharp spiritually. Be reading it. Be understanding it. Be absorbing it. To be prepared to answer those who mock Christ's return. The mockers. He says that in verse 3. Mockers will come with their mocking. False teachers don't always mock. But these guys were mocking. And let's look at three characteristics of their mocking. First, the timing of their mocking. Mockers will come with their mocking. Um, the characteristics of their mocking is timing. In the last days. And we understand that the last days began when Jesus resurrected, when he went to heaven, and he instituted the new covenant, the church. These are the, la- the last days when God is working in the church. And some might say, oh, that's 2,000 years. That's been going on forever. Well, not exactly. Be careful. That's how the mockers talk. You know, and what's their motivation? Following after their own lust. And that's what we've been hearing for the last few weeks. The mockers are interested just in in justifying their simple desires that they want to practice. MacArthur um, says that it's a vicious form of intimidation that derides hope-filled Christians as silly and uninformed. They not only uh, defend their sinfulness, but they ridicule. And they try to intimidate and they deride what Christians say as silly and uninformed. And then there's its content of their mocking, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Everything keeps going like it always has. And there were other false teachers who said this, and they said, Jesus already came. So there were, they were false teachers on both sides. Some said he already came, and these guys are saying, well, he'll never come. And 
Where is the promise of his coming? Let's see the, the rationale. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues as it was before. And that, that philosophy is known as uniformitarianism. Everything keeps going uniformly the way it always has. There's never been any change. They're like Darwin. You know, when Darwin started studying science, supposedly, and came up with the um, theory of evolution, he was basing everything on the pace of change that he could observe. And that's why he came up with millions of millions of years, because things change so slowly. He said it has to have taken millions and millions and hundreds of millions and billions of years for, for the world to develop to where it is today. Same exact argument these guys had. Everything, nothing changes since the, since the fathers died. Does that suggest that nothing will change? And, and Peter's saying, of course things can change so fast in such a big way. We'll quote MacArthur again on this point, which, where he says, Jesus Christ is coming back. Throughout the centuries, the reality of that wonderful promise has formed the crux of Christian expectation. It is the church's blessed hope that Jesus is coming back. Her utmost longing and the great climax of salvation history, a time of redemption for believers and a time of judgment for God's enemies. It also marks the inauguration of Christ's earthly kingdom during which the saints will reign with him in holiness. The hope of bodily resurrection, spiritual renewal, and a righteous world system are all tied to Jesus' return. It is no wonder then that the early church found tremendous comfort in the second coming after all the readers of the epistles had already endured much persecution from outside the church. Now they were experiencing internal turmoil from false teachers. Thus they longed for the return of their Savior, the judge who would make all things right. They're waiting for a big event, a major change in how things are operating. And Christ's return would bring that. We need eschatology when we're going through hard times. We need to know what the end result of all this training and difficulty and, and struggles is going to be. So um, Peter wants us to look at the error of their ridicule. What it ignores. It ignores the power of creation. Not everything started the way it's working now. It was very different. In six days, God made all the heavens and the earth. And then he rested on the seventh. That all happened very quickly and very powerfully. Secondly, the horror of the flood. 2,000 years or a little bit more after creation, the whole earth was covered with a flood and all the ecosystem changed through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. That's why he mentioned water so many times in that one verse. And there were mockers in Noah's day, and now there's mockers in Peter's day, and there are mockers today, too, saying, no, 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 no. 
When we look at the Grand Canyon, it's got this little river that goes through it. That took millions of years for that little river to, to make that big trench called the Grand Canyon. Right? No, it's not explained very well that way. It's much better explained and understood when we take God's word and say, no, that had to have happened in the flood. The only thing that can make something that deep and that huge and cut through rock isn't a little river. It is a very catastrophic explosion with heat and water on the day that the world was judged in Noah's day. And there is a certainty of eternal judgment. Those who think that that's not going to happen, we're not going to give an account. It's not going to happen. And, and the false teachers were playing with fire, we might say. They were saying, that's not going to happen. And Peter says, no, there is a day of judgment. It will be the day of fire, as promised in the Old Testament. So we need to understand why Christ has not yet returned. So if we're insisting, know that, that if things aren't changing right now, that doesn't mean things won't change in the very near future. And somebody says, yeah, but see, the, the leaves are turning. Aren't they beautiful? We were noticing that on our drive over this morning, how uh, the oranges and the reds, and, and maybe it's not as quite as pretty as other years or yet, but, but we... But we know it's coming, and all the other trees are... You say it's, it's happening the way it does every year. Nothing changes. But that doesn't mean it won't change before next year. We don't know if Jesus might come, and this, this passage about fire can happen before next fall. It might even happen before this fall is all over. It's going to happen. God waits but he's never slow. His plan is complete and it's perfect. And he's coming. And we're in the last of the last days. It might seem like delayed action, like when Jesus didn't come to Martha and Mary when they said, come and heal our brother Lazarus. And he got there four days late. Well, it seemed late to them, but he wasn't late. He wanted to show them the power of his resurrection. And he's going to show us his power through his second return, and we need to be ready. There is a beauty in, well, there, there's a uniqueness in the Lord's perspective. Sorry, I got a little behind on, on my outline. The beauty of the Lord's compassion. He is patient. He is loving and he is patient in our lives. There, there are things that we can look back on. I was going to tell you a story about uh, uh, something that happened to us in Mexico City, uh, but, but I don't have time to explain it all, just to say we were involved in, in being sued for our church's bank account by an ex-member, a friend, a dear friend of ours who, who um, got away from the Lord, wanted to divorce her husband, and then in the lawsuit she sued us for half of our bank account because her husband's name was on the account. And after two years of struggle with that, and, and that was especially on me as the pastor, God was stretching and teaching us. And at the end of those two years, the court awarded in her favor. But God is still in control. And she never 
took the last step to ask for the money. She really wanted something else. But it was because God is sovereign. And he was teaching us through those two years, whether we got anything accomplished in the court system or not, God was working on us because that's what God does. And he stopped us from buying up one property and he gave us a better property. He just did all kinds of great things through, through that trial. And we can thank the Lord for it. Now, it wasn't very fun in the moment. But God was patiently working on us. He is patient. When it looks like the bad people are getting upper hand, when your persecutors are the ones who have the strength, just hold on. The day of judgment is coming. God will straighten it all out. He is just working on us to grow us, to make us more like Christ. That's what the last couple verses say. The false teachers were saying, where's the promise of his coming? He's slow. Nope, he's not. He's not slow. He's right on time. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He's waiting for those who will believe on him. If you haven't done that, you need to do it. And he's patient and working to bring the likeness of Christ into our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word of encouragement, this word of challenge. Thank you for this word that reminds us to love the word of God, to absorb it, to stay in it, to be sharp, to be focused, and and to be able to see correctly, Lord, that you are always working through all things to make us more like Christ. We pray that the person who has not trusted Christ, who has not recognized their sin, who has not understood or or accepted that Jesus paid it all so that they can trust in him. We pray that that would happen today, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.